So good. Good to be Fortune. Good to have you back. Come on. When Fortune's back, we don't stand anymore. We rise. I'm done with standing. I rise now. I don't stand anymore. Standing is so 2001. <laughs> Come on. Well, this is our Sunday where we prepare for our next season, uh, next six months of groups. But I just wondered, have you ever wondered, what is the point of groups? Sorry, I'm starting a bit of a dark place. What's the point of it? I mean, we go on a Sunday. What is the point of groups? You know, sometimes you're like, you're tired. It's a Wednesday night. You've been at work. It's raining again. It's dark. And you're thinking to yourself, what is the point of going to? Any, I'm not, I've never felt this way. I'm asking for a friend. Anyone, <laughs> anyone ever felt like that? What's the point of this? Or even worse, because there's even less excuse. You don't even have to go to your group in person. You go online. And you're about to click the button, join on Zoom. You think, what's the point of, you know, you're trying to motivate your finger. What's the point of this? My hair's a mess. They can see my messy bedroom behind me. What's the, anyone, anyone ever felt, is it just a few of us, just like me and you, just two of us? This is what Jesus said into that. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them where two or three are gathered. Have you ever thought of that? Why did he say where two or three are gathered? Why not where 200 or 300 or 600 are gathered in my name? Well, because we expect Jesus to turn up when there's 600 gathered in his name. But do we have the same expectation when there's just two or three? In our world, we're so used to, let's go for the thing with the likes and the followers, the famous, the big. But Jesus has said, well, my focus is really on the small. And that's not to dismiss the big. Of course, we expect him to turn up when there's the big. But when two or three are gathered in my name, do we have the same expectation that Jesus will rock up? Because, you know, there's this principle that spiritual power is linked to expectation. I don't know if you knew that. Spiritual power is linked to expectation. Hebrews 11 tells us this. Whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I thought believing that God exists is enough. No, no, no. The scripture elsewhere says even the demons believe that and tremble. No, no. Believing that God exists is not enough. He must believe that he exists what, and that he rewards those who seek him. There's an expectation that actually is the thing that connects the power. There's an expectation that God is the one when we come to him in faith where two or three are gathered, that he will turn up, that he will manifest himself, that he will do stuff that only God can do. Power is linked to expectation. Now, it is possible to have our expectations too high. I, I read, this is a, a real advert I read in a newspaper many years ago. Female musician needed for lead vocalist and backup vocals. Oh, that's okay. Who can also play steel drum Ooh, and limbo dance. Oh, okay. MC and design costumes, okay, must also be able to play and sing various types of music, including soccer, calypso, and reggae. Must also sing in English, Spanish, Korean, Hindi, and Arabic. I can imagine a woman reading that thinking, I mean, I was doing well until I got to the Arabic. I mean, I was just like, I, you know, I had it all. I mean, my Spanish is a bit rusty, but the Arabic, you know, you got me there. It's possible for our expectations to be too high, but you know, when it comes to God, I don't think that's possible. We can either have expectations that are misplaced, God, we're asking God to do something he never promised to do, or we can have them too low. Churches like this, it's like a two-winged bird. And we've got to have our expectations right, because if we have our expectations too low for either of these wings, what will happen? It will mean the power won't flow in the way that it could flow. 
So what are the two wings of the bird? Well, the one wing is the big, the, the Sundays, the prayer meetings, the big gatherings. We need them. We expect God to turn up. We want to gather with other believers. It encourages us. But the other wing is the smaller gatherings, the two, the three, the four, the five, the six. That's the second wing of the bird. And you need both wings for this bird to fly. We have lots of different types of groups. We have life groups, we have missional communities, we have equipped groups. They're all different types of groups, but they've all got one thing in common. They're smaller groups where we gather life on life, where we can connect in a way that we just can't possibly in the bigger settings. So I want to remind us today as we go into this, it can be so easy if we've been in groups before or if we've never been in groups to have the wrong expectations. I want to get us fixed on what's a biblical expectation of what God can do. Just in case you or a friend ever have the thought, what's the point of groups? I know it wouldn't be you, but maybe a friend. (laughs) This is what Hebrews 10 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day referred to there is the day of Jesus' return, the day of judgment, the day that as the world gets bleaker and darker, the day that's coming closer and closer. As you see that day, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you need this all the more. You need this all the more. As you see the darkness increasing on the outside, you need this all the more. Now, I know you're expecting to listen to me, but I'm going to get you to listen to one another. Turn in groups of three or four, just say a quick hi, and then I want you to answer this question. What does these few verses from Hebrews chapter 10 teach us about the Christian life? What do they teach us about the Christian life? Just answer that simple question, groups of three or four, say hi, introduce yourself if you don't know each other, and then just answer that question. What does this passage, this passage, not another passage, this passage teaches about the Christian life? If you're watching online, great to have you. Open your Bible, ask yourself that same question. What does this passage tell us about the Christian life? Great to have you with us.
Oh, great. You want to turn back this way? Just finish that point and then turn back this way. All righty, this is interactive. Not because I couldn't be bothered to write a sermon, but because I'd love to hear what you think. What do we think? What does this passage, you shout it out from where you are, I'll repeat it so everyone can hear. What does this passage teach us about the Christian life? Yeah, anyone? Encouragement, the power of encouragement, yes. So easy to think that we are mature if we don't need encouragement, but the reality is we all need it. It's so critical to the Christian life. Yeah, anything else on this? Say him. Connection, the connection of one life on another life is so critical for the Christian life. Yeah, very good. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, the support that comes for one another, the whole thing of wavering that we might think, well, I'm mature, I'll never waver. Actually, the mature version is, I'll probably waver, I need one another. They need me, I need them. Yeah, anything else? Say again. Accountability. Yeah, you can't do that in a big setting. You can turn up and it's easy to hide, but in a smaller setting, that's how we get to really be accountable one with another. Yeah. Go on, Roy. Uh, you learn to trust, exactly. You learn to trust in a deeper setting. Yeah, Other, others over here? Yeah, the intimacy of connecting with one another. Yeah, other things? Say again. Iron sharpening iron, the closeness gets something of stirring one another up. Yeah, very good. Over here. Say again. Yeah, not forsaking it. It's easy to forget and think and to neglect it, as the writer says. Don't forsake it. Yeah, others over here. Yes. Yeah, the, the power of rubbing up to one another, another, one another. Yeah, fantastic. One more over here. Stirring up the good in each other rather than the bad. Yeah, fantastic. Well, there you go. There's your sermon. Shall we, shall we go home? Early coffee, I think. Done. <laughs> Opportunity. Yes. Yeah. So great illustration, F&M, Friday night meeting, individuals who go to that and serve there probably wouldn't do it on their own, but together they could do something. There's opportunity that comes from that. Very good. Well, I had a few thoughts as well. So go on then. Oh, go on then. One thing, very quickly. Firstly, Christianity, you made these points already, so this is just echoing what you said. Firstly, Christianity is not a solo sport. Amen. There are lots of things that are solo sports, but Christianity is not one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Notice that. Let us. For he who promises faithful, let us consider how to stir one another up, one another to love and good works. Christianity is not a solo sport. Darts is a solo sport. Is it a sport or a game? Darts is a solo sport. Archery is a solo sport. Ski jumping. Better not try that with somebody else. Ski jumping is a solo sport. These are solo sports. Christianity is not a solo sport. All the strengths of Western culture, there is one glaring weakness. You can do life on your own. And we are reaping the whirlwind of loneliness because of that philosophy. You just need you. It's just about you. This passage flies in the face of that. Christianity was never intended to be a solo sport. You are intended to be in community together. Notice this, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Let us consider. These are group instructions 
hold fast together. Many want to follow God, but they want to follow God on their own. I've talked to so many, oh yeah, I don't really bother going, what? I'm a Christian, I love God, but I don't really bother going, why not? Well, I don't really need it, do I? I don't really need it. You need it, and it needs you. You need them, and they need you. When I was a young Christian, someone said this to me, they said, a coal that drops out of the fireplace goes cold very quickly. That picture has always stayed with me over 30 years. A coal that drops out of the fireplace goes cold very quickly. And I've noticed that. I've actually even witnessed it. A coal rolling out onto the hearth. And when it rolls out, it is blazing hot. You think that thing will never go cold. But within a few minutes, it's black and cold. And the rest of the fire is blazing away. A coal that drops out goes cold very quickly. I've never forgotten that. Coals stay hot when they stay hot together. It's the same with us. I've seen it again and again and again. Christians who were blazing hot, they were going for God and they dropped out. There was an offense. There was something that happened. They dropped out of community and within a few months, maybe years, they're stone cold. They're stone cold. Hold fast together. Here's a testimony from one of our groups. Despite the fact that many of the group knew each other from previous groups before, there are no cliques in my group. Hallelujah. That wasn't her, that was me. I was made to feel incredibly welcome. The support and encouragement shown over the weeks has been incredible. This community continues to bring life and truth over Zoom, WhatsApp, and in person. I feel like I've known these ladies far longer than a few weeks. The mix of personal testimony, looking at women in the Bible, and women of faith has, for possibly the first time, encouraged me to embrace all I truly am as a woman, a wife, a mother, and a daughter of the King. That is what holding fast together looks like. Hold fast together. Let us consider together. We need to think about these things. We need to consider, how's it going to work? How are you going to keep hot? How are you going to keep other people hot? How are you going to be around more hot people? Actually, my analogy is broken down, isn't it? (laughs) Some of you, the take home is like, I need to be in a group with more hot people. No, that wasn't what I was trying to say. Well, hot in the right sort of hot. There are two types of hot. Spiritually hot. I've got, I've got a few hallelujahs around the room. Spiritually hot, I mean. Thank you, yes, thank you. I know it's Valentine's Day this week. Anyway, how are you going to, you've got to think about it. Consider it. Stir one another. Imagine you came home to my house and we cooked together. I don't advise it, but you come over and we're cooking soup and, I, and you're, you're sitting down on the kitchen table and I say to you, hey, could you stir the soup? And you're like, well, yeah. And you get up to go and stir the soup on the stove. And I'm like, oh, no, can you do it from there? And you're like, what do you mean? I was like, well, can you stir it from there? And you're like, well, not really, because it's like over there. I'm like, well, it's just that you're getting in my way over here. Would you mind? You'd be like, I can't stir the soup from over there. That's the same point, isn't it? You can't stir one another up at arm's length. You can't get close enough. That's why we need Sundays. We need the big, but we also need the small. Because it's in the small that we can really stir one another up. We can really encourage one another. We can really get into our lives. Sunday is wonderful. I'm not trying to discourage you from Sunday, but what I'm trying to say is it will do some things, but not other things. What's your expectation? The actual root word is it means to provoke one another, to incite one another. Uh, the British phrase will be to egg one another on. Is that, does that translate at all? Just a little, it, there's, it's nothing to do with eggs. Another idi- idiosyncrasy of British English. It's nothing to do with eggs. To egg one another on, forget the egg bit. What it means is to, to spur one another on, to, to provoke one another, but to good. Anyone been part of a group where you egged one another on to stupid things? Usually groups of men. 
I have been part of groups of men where you egg one another on to do dumb stuff. Like one group I was in, we egged one another on to jump off a cliff into the sea. Thank you, Tosin. I didn't need the affirmation. Thank you. And the next year, the group did it again, but I wasn't there. Another person was there, and he mistimed it and broke both of his legs. Ever been part of a group where you egged one another on to do stupid stuff? Well, the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying the opposite. is saying, be part of community where you egg one another on to what? Love and good works. Why? Because the messages that you are being pumped with day in, day out through every movie and article and everything online through social media is what? Be your own self. Be alone. You don't need anybody else. Do stupid stuff. So you need to be part of a community that eggs one another on to love and good works. He's got a different idea. I was speaking to a, in a church a few weeks ago and um, uh, I was talking about how when he always sent them in twos. You read through the sent them in twos. You read through the sent them in twos. You read through the New Testament, read through the Gospels. He always sent them in twos. And so my challenge to them was, look, if you're in your workplace and you're on your own, if you're in your street trying to reach out to people on your own or in a friendship group and a community group, if you're on your own, your first job is to pray for your two. Your first job is to pray for the two, the one that will, because Jesus always sent his disciples two by two. So you might need to lead someone to Christ to be your two, but your first job, that's what the Lord says, pray for workers for the harvest. That's your first job. At the end of the meeting, this lady comes up to me. She says, I am a baker. I own a small bakery in town. That is my mission field. I'm trying to give people the bread that they need to eat, but also the bread of life in Jesus. That's my mission field. And then another lady came up and joined her and she said, I was not a Christian about six months or a year ago. Uh, I've given my life to Christ. She's just given me a job. I'm her too. <laughs> Together, we are going to do this. Together, there's something precious about this. We sign up to groups this term. Let's go with the intention. I'm going to bring my provocation. I'm going to bring my egging on. Through, sometimes through example, sometimes through talking, sometimes through sharing. Whatever it is, I'm going to be provoked and I'm going to provoke others to love and good works. That's my expectation. You know, it was in a group I was first challenged to be honest about my story, to tell it warts and all. It was in a group that I first received a prophetic word to quit my job and do what I'm doing today. It was in a group that I first taught the Bible, shaking, red in the face, as I still am sometimes. <laughs> I first taught the Bible in a group. There's something that happens in that smaller setting. That Yes, Sundays is wonderful, but there's something that happens in that smaller setting. It's not either or, it's both and. It's a two-winged bird. Second thing, shorter. Someone made this point as well. Things die from neglect. <laughs> not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. You know, some plants just die through neglect. Some die through abuse. I, I, a university, a friend of mine, she had a love. We had the same framework of a flat it was exactly the same hers looked fantastic it had plants it was just wonderful it was green it was like a home mine just had one poster on the wall and looked rubbish and I was in her flat one day I was saying yeah mine's just rubbish and yours is just great and she's like well we got the same flat it's just you know what I've made of it and I said well yeah but I'm no good with plants you know it's all the plant I'm no good with plants she said well why don't I give you a cactus she said you can't kill them I had this cactus, it was lovely, it really brought some life to my room. Anyway, one day I, it kind of got knocked over on the windowsill and I thought I'll sort that out later. Well, one day became another day, became another week, became another month. And it was sitting on a baking hot windowsill for months, out of its pot. It died. Please, write to someone else, not me. It was plant abuse. 
Some plants die for abuse. Some plants, though, just die through neglect. They just die through neglect. You just neglected them. And, and the writer to the Hebrews is saying that to us. He's saying, listen, bad habits will kill you. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Habits can be good, and we can get into good habits, but we can also get into really bad habits. COVID, COVID taught us all a few good habits, but I'll tell you what, there are many more bad habits that came out of COVID. Anyone still trying to flush out the bad habits they inherited from COVID? It's just me. All right, okay, pray for me. Bad habits came in that time. Why? Why did they come? Because we hadn't thought we had good habits and we hadn't thought deep, we hadn't considered why we were doing those things. So we hadn't thought about them. They had no underpinning. COVID came along, everything got shaken up. And what happens? The good habits just went out the window. And because we'd never considered them, we'd never thought deeply about them. When we came out, we're like, well, I don't need that anymore. And now we're reaping the whirlwind of bad habits that came in. And we're all trying to get out of some of those bad habits. And one of those habits is this, we need one another. We need to have a habit of needing and of recognizing that we need one another. And here's my last point, which I got out of this passage, which is this. Groups lead to encouragement, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Groups are fundamentally where we gain and receive encouragement, particularly as the darkness in the world around us gets darker as the more we cry out, Jesus, you've got to come soon. As that rises in our spirits, we need this all the more. We need this all the more. We need to think flexibly because I'm in a season where I, I'm not sure what it looks like for me. I'm not sure how I get part of a group, but my evenings are busy. Well, we'll think creatively, but find your place where you can bring encouragement and you can give encouragement. I mean, I've been in lots of types of groups. One, one of my best groups is 30 minutes on Zoom once a week, early in the morning before us, we all go to work. It's a fantastic group. That's all it takes is thinking creatively about how can you find your people who you can do life on life together? How can you find that encouragement and bring that encouragement? And the way we shape our groups is that they should all, they all look different there are three kind of big types, life groups where we're kind of doing life together, missional communities where we're looking to do a mission together, and equip groups where we're looking to equip and teach one another. But they all have three, three things that they should be doing. One is the up. That's the, about how do we encounter God together. One is the in. It's how do we love one another in community. And one is the out. How do we multiply? How do we become disciples who multiply? Up, in, and out should be the form, whatever the group takes they should have those elements. I just thought I'd whistle through uh, the early church in Acts. This is our first picture of the church and show you how they got encouragement in those different ways. So the worship bit, the up bit, well, firstly, there was encouragement from room-shaking prayer. When they were released, they they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you have that expectation? They had a physical manifestation of a room shaking, but it's meant as a picture for us. The room may shake, but it it will definitely shake in the Spirit. When you gather with your friends and pray, something happens in that moment. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged in prayer in that moment. Second thing, encouragement from being filled with the Spirit. Acts 10, the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius, who was a Gentile centurion, was expecting them, had called together his relatives and his closer, uh, close friends. Peter, who's one of the earliest followers of Jesus, was still talking to them about these things. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. 
people f- were filled with the Spirit in a small group setting. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's nine occasions where it talks about people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Five of them are in small groups. Wow. So we can have expectation for the big, for the Sunday, but is your expectation for the small that God comes, that the Spirit comes, that we get filled with the Spirit, that He fills our hearts and gives us what we need in that moment? Notice this story. The church broke into a whole new people group in a small group setting. Is that your expectation? That we could change the world from our small group. That someone could get spoken to or filled with the Spirit who would go on and reach a whole different people in Bedford or even move to an unreached people in another nation. Things happen when God, where two or three are gathered in his name. Because why? It's not about the numbers. It's about Jesus. It's about his presence. It's about the fact that he turns up. What about community? Well, they got encouragement from radical generosity. Acts 2. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, notice the big and breaking bread in their homes, there's the small, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. It's in the space of a small group. How do they know who had the need? It's easy to come and go on a Sunday and never know and never anyone else know what your need is. In a small group, it's much harder. The needs are evident in a small group. Is that your expectation, that needs will supernaturally get met through our communities as we gather life on life? Encouragement from life-changing teaching, Acts 18. Apollos, who was one of the early church leaders, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos got the revelation he needed in a small group. It's great to come and hear teaching on a Sunday, but it was in a small group. You need both. That's where you got the revelation. That's where the word really gets applied to our lives. That's where we can say, yeah, but I didn't get that bit. I don't understand that bit. That doesn't make sense. And we can talk to one another. We can pray for one another about it. Encouragement from the gifts of the Spirit exercised. Acts 21, and coming to us, Agabus the prophet took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus the Holy Spirit says, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, it wasn't the most encouraging prophetic word, I've got to be grand, I'll give you. But it happened in a small group. And it was a defining word for the church that helped them to know what was going to happen and to encourage them when it did, that God was in it. Here's a testimony from one of our groups. Thirteen of us had Christmas dinner at my house. A lady disappeared for a while, so I went to look for her. She was in the living room trying to stretch out her leg. She explained she suffers from really bad leg cramps, that she'd probably have to go home as they last a long time. She can't sit when it happens. I offered to pray for her, and it was instantly healed. I spoke to her nine months later, and she had been cramp-free from that night. Amen. And lastly, encouragement for mission. Matthew 28, the great commission where Jesus commissions his whole church, go and make disciples of all nations. Many of us who've been Christians for many years have read it many times. Did you know it was given in a small group? 11 people and Jesus were in that meeting. And and a word that changed the world forever came in a small group setting. Mission is birthed in small groups, as, as was said over here. There's, there's meetings of believers that we can't all do everything as a big church, but small groups can do stuff together. They can say, I've got this passion, so have I. I've got this passion, so have I. Let's do something together. Let's encourage one another. And even, I'll provoke us with this, encouragement from people raised from the dead. Acts 9, Peter pulled them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turned to the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. 
and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hands and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Did you know that most of the resurrections in the New Testament happened in a small group setting? In fact, even sometimes Jesus had a big group and he chucked most of them out so that he could, there's something about it, the intimacy and the power of that moment. Now, I'm not saying bring dead bodies to your small groups. I'm not saying people are going to die in your small groups. I hope that doesn't happen. But what I am saying is, what's your expectation? Is your expectation that the greatest miracles are going to happen on a Sunday or when we're all gathered? We had a phenomenal one shared this morning at the 9.30. A lady who was nearly blind in one eye through type 1 diabetes was radically healed. I'm hoping to get her to 11.30 so you can hear it. It's a phenomenal story. But there's an expectation in the big, but do you have the same expectation in the small? You know, one of the greatest miracles that I've ever seen, which is greatest because it's closest to my uh, heart and life, is my wife Caroline, whose leg, she had chronic back conditions. She was often bedridden for months at a time. Her leg was diagnosed by an osteopath as one, uh, one bone was shorter than the other. It wasn't muscular. Lots of back conditions are muscular. This, with the osteopath, said, you can, you can, I can, you know, I've measured it multiple times. There's one of your bones is shorter than the other. You know, we can manage it, but it's not a condition that's going to go away. She was prayed for. I saw it grow in front of my eyes. The bone grew in front of my eyes. Where did it happen? Big meeting? No, it was a small group. About six or seven people in the room. Or less than that. It was a small group setting. What's the point? Have big expectations for as we gather as a crowd, but have great expectations for when we gather in small groups where two or three are gathered in my name. What's your expectation for groups this term? And I don't, I don't want to be phony here. I know that there are bad nights. There are bad nights when you know, Simon's waffling on and Tosin's in a bad mood and the dog pukes on the carpet. You know, I, I said that because Tosin's never in a bad mood. But you know, there, there's, there, is, there, are, there, are, there are rough nights. There are rough nights where you think, what was the point of that? And the dog puked up and it was just, what? You know, there are rough nights. But this is what the scripture says. We carry this treasure in jars of clay. If you think your group needs to be perfect for God to turn up, look at Jesus' group. The disciples were a nightmare. They were fighting together. They were falling out. They were arguing. They were jealous. They were, one of them betrayed him for crying out loud. God does not rock up in the perfect. He rocks up in the imperfect. On the night when Simon's waffling, Tosin's in a bad mood and the dog pukes up, God is still there. Sorry, Tosin, you're always in a good mood. For this. God is there in the midst. We carry this treasure in jars of clay. That's not just you and me. That's us together. It's imperfect. And yet God says, Jesus says this, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Therefore, do not neglect meeting together. Do not neglect meeting together. Christianity is not a solo sport. Things die from neglect. Groups are the foundation of our encouragement where we do life on life, and when you need me, you're there, and when I need you, I'm there. That's the foundation of true Christian community. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Why don't you stand to your feet? Oh, yes, I forgot again. Rise. You have to sit down again. Rise to your feet. Rise to your feet. I just can't say it like fortune. It's so annoying. Rise to your feet. Come on. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for our community. We thank you for each other. We thank you that in all our frailties and with all our diary pressures and work pressures that we can find each other. I just pray for creative ideas.
I pray for inspiration of how to find each other, whether it's through an organized thing or a, a, a spontaneous thing. I pray, Lord, for our community that we will celebrate the big, but also find each other in the small. That everyone in this church will have some or a smaller group that where they do life on life together, where they stir one another up, where they encourage one another, where they egg one another on, not to jump off a cliff, but to good works. Do it, Lord, I pray amongst us in Jesus' name. I just want to pray for those, just whatever your eyes close. You felt like, you know what, my expectation for small groups was pretty low before this morning. Why don't you just raise your hand? Just if you feel like, yeah, that's me. I just had pretty low. Either I've neglected it or, I've, yeah, just, yeah, Holy Spirit. I just pray right across the room that you would raise our expectations this term. That we would go with great expectations that where two or three are gathered, Jesus is there. Let's see what he will do. See what he'll do in worship. See what he'll do in community. See what he'll do to provoke us to mission. I pray that sparks would fly in our groups in the imperfect night. Sparks would fly. Come, Spirit of God, use us all in our communities. In Jesus' name.